Well, good evening. Um, it's good to be back with you at Hamilton Baptist. My name is Lee Ballantyne. I serve at Harvest Glasgow in the south side of the city. Uh, so good to be back with you, serving you in this way. Thank you to Nathan and to your church for inviting me back. Um, over the next three evenings, we're going to be looking at the book of Habakkuk um, in the Old Testament. Uh, if you have a Bible, please do um, start finding your way there. Uh, there's two questions we um, ask most often when we encounter hard circumstances. Um, which I'm sure you can relate to, the questions of why and the question of how long. Um, we ask those questions often because of what happens in our own lives and as we look at what, what's going on in the world around us. Um, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's wars, terrorism, uh, the perversion of justice in the world, famine, natural disasters, we ask those two questions and we want answers, we want certainty, we want comfort and ultimately we want relief. Those questions of, is anybody going to do anything about what's going on? Will it ever end? What does the future hold? What will happen to me and to those around me? Those are the questions that we ask. Um, I chose the book of Habakkuk uh, quite a long time before uh, Nathan asked me to, to speak again to you in July. And so in many ways, it's quite timely. Um, Habakkuk is a, not that well known a book, but in recent days, it's become more fashionable. Uh, um, but it's so relevant to us um, not just protected at this time, but at all times, uh, in all circumstances. The prophet Habakkuk is wrestling with these very same questions, particularly the question of why God isn't doing anything about the sin, the evil and the injustice that's going on around him. Habakkuk finds himself in a situation where it seems like everything is out of control and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. And you'll notice as we go through that he doesn't hold back when it comes to confronting God with the questions that he has and the confusion that he's wrestling with. He wants answers, answers that satisfy his questions and answers that bring an end ultimately to the sin, evil and justice that he sees going on around him. And that's really what all of us want. All of us want certainty, we want hope. We want to know that there's purpose in the hard and painful parts of life. Uh, a sports podcast that I listen to regularly, uh, the, the people that host it um, said not that long ago with, with regards to particularly the coronavirus pandemic, uh, one of the guys said this, everything happens for a reason. We don't know what that reason is. We don't know what's the good behind it. I don't know. He hopes there's purpose, but he doesn't know what it is. And as Christians, we aren't necessarily exempt from trying to understand how what we go through adds up with both the character of God and the covenant commitments that God has made to us. We, we too wrestle with matching up what goes on in the world around us with what we believe. We have questions and we long for answers. The good news is though that God has given us answers. He does offer us certainty and that's what he did for Habakkuk and that's what he has done and is still doing for us. So over our time together in Habakkuk, we're going to join Habakkuk ultimately on a journey, a journey that takes him and I pray a journey that takes us from a place of wrestling with God about the circumstances around us and in our lives to being able to get to a place of rejoicing in God. That's why this sermon series is called From Wrestling to Rejoicing. And maybe it's a journey that you are currently on right now. Maybe it's a journey that you have been on in the past, or maybe it's a journey you haven't done so well on. Um, we can be certain it's a journey that we'll all go on at some point, and it's a journey that we need to go on. So in chapter one, we're gonna see that despite how we often feel, God is at work in our lives and in this world, even when the way that he works doesn't always satisfy our wise. So I'm just gonna to read to us from Habakkuk, chapter 1 verses 1 to 11 if you want to follow along uh, with me. Habakkuk chapter 1 
verses 1 to 11. The prophecy, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Uh, so let me just pray uh, for us now, just as we begin to think about what these things uh, mean for us. Uh, Father, we just thank you for uh, this book. Thank you for how it speaks to us in all circumstances. And just we pray that as we um, listen to you, that our hearts would be softened, that we would be ready to hear what you would have to say to us, uh, that we would treasure it, that we would obey it, and that you would transform us, Father, uh, in this time together. Um, help us, Father, to see how your word speaks to us in every circumstance of life. Uh, just pray for your strength now uh, as we come to look at it. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we see here then in chapter one is that it can seem like God isn't doing anything. So Habakkuk's living in a time uh, when God's people are rapidly drifting away from God's word and worshiping other gods. And their spiritual corruption has led to societal chaos. Habakkuk's world was falling apart. And if you look at verses one to four, there was violence, there was injustice, wrongdoing, destruction, strife, conflict. Good people are surrounded by bad people. And so Habakkuk does the only thing that he believes can actually bring about any change in these circumstances. He calls on God to do something, but there doesn't seem to be any reply. It seems like God is ignoring him. He says, you do not listen. Seems like God is allowing injustice. He says, why, why do you make me look at injustice? W wicked, the, the wicked hem in the righteous. Why are you indifferent? He says, why do you tolerate wrongdoing? And ultimately he says, your word is ineffective. Says the law is paralyzed, it has no effect. It's not doing anything. God, why aren't you doing anything about what's going on? From Habakkuk's perspective, God isn't doing anything to stop what is going on around him. And worse than that, it feels to Habakkuk like God doesn't even care. His confusion comes about because he can't seem to reconcile what is going on around him with the character of God and the covenant commitments that God has made to his people Israel. And he asks those two big questions we thought about at the beginning. He asks how long in verse two and why in verse three. How long? I can't take it any longer. And why? What is this achieving? Why are you letting this happen? What is the point of allowing this to continue? Notice a few things here. Habakkuk's frustration and despair are, what, are, are because of what is going on under his own roof, amongst his own people. Okay, he's not blind to or seeking to ignore what is being done by his own people. And what this demonstrates to us is that sin, evil, and justice is an in here issue before it is an out there issue. Amidst despair, notice that Habakkuk directs his questions. Notice where he takes his questions. 
knows where he takes his doubt. He recognises that he can't fix it himself. He doesn't try to distract himself from the pain. He doesn't give up. Instead, he goes to God. And notice that in seeking answers from God, Habakkuk shows that he is still spiritually awake. Okay, the sin and the evil that's going on around him still moves him. He's not deadened to it. He hasn't got caught up in it. If you've ever been in a classroom environment and you've been given a task to do, um, the, the teacher, the instructor always tells you that you can ask for help. Don't be embarrassed to ask for help. Ask questions if you get stuck. Ask questions if you don't know what to do. But there's a number of things which stop us from doing that, isn't there? We think if we've been given a task or something to do, we think, I've got this, I don't need help. We think, some of us, I don't really care about this, therefore it doesn't matter to me. Or we think, I can't ask this out of embarrassment or because we don't know what to ask. And then finally, we think that if we do ask, they won't actually be able to help us. They won't know what to say or to do. But the reality that Habakkuk shows here and how he goes to God is that we do need help because we don't understand. We go to God because it does matter and it matters eternally. We can ask these questions. God invites us to cast our burdens on him and we know that he can help. God can help us when we come to him with his questions. Habakkuk models for us here that wrestling with these questions is okay and he shows us where we can take them. And that is a comforting thing to know. He shows us that life can be complicated and confusing. We all know that, right? That from our perspective, God's character doesn't always seem to match up with our circumstances. Importantly, he shows us that we can ask for answers from God in a way that doesn't accuse God or call his character into question. Maybe you find yourself in a circumstance like that right now. You're asking those two questions, why and how long? Maybe you've uh, lost a family member, your job is under threat or you've lost your job, you're being treated unfairly, maybe you long for a family, you've been sinned against or in these times of spending time with family, you're experiencing family conflict. The encouragement here is that when hard circumstances come, which they will, we have someone we can go to with the hard questions we have and he does hear us. How do we know? Well, Habakkuk shows us here that God has given us prayer. He has enabled us a means to come to him and that he shows us that when we come to him in prayer, we can bring our perplexing questions to him. Prayer is the means he has given us to help us work through these questions. He enables us to pray to him. And do you know who it is that we pray through? We pray through Jesus. It is Jesus who enables us to come to God with these questions. Jesus knew what it meant to suffer evil and injustice. Jesus too wrestled with God's ways in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's how we know we can come to God with our questions and that's how we know he can hear us. These verses teach us that it is right to cry out in frustration at the evil injustice we see around us. Yet we must first be awake to sin and evil and injustice in our own hearts, in our own homes, in our own churches, before we start pointing the finger to the world around us. It is good, healthy and right that we cry out to God with our confusion and questions. So parents, model that for your children. Be a church that authentically displays that. God doesn't call us to bottle up our bewilderment when it comes to hard circumstances. He wants us to come to him with our hard questions because he is listening and he does care. He does care and he is doing something. 
That's what we see next. It can seem like God isn't doing anything, but he is doing something. Verses 5 to 11. God now answers those two big questions that Habakkuk has. Uh, uh, why and how long? He is saying in verse 5 to 11, Look, I am doing something. Be amazed. I am doing something in your days. The wait is over, okay? You, you, you won't have to look at injustice forever. Habakkuk must have been thinking, great, great. God tells him that not only are the wait is over, but he's going to do something amazing, right? How, how, how much would Habakkuk have loved to hear those words? So what is it that God is doing? Um, you've probably uh, in uh, lockdown played more quizzes or took part in more quizzes than maybe you have in a long time. And one of the things that happens in quizzes is that you ask a question, you give an answer, and then someone reads out the answers and you get an answer that you just completely didn't expect. You thought you had the right answer, but it turns out you were completely wrong. I know that's happened to me a few times. Same thing happens to Habakkuk. He gets an answer that he doesn't expect. What is that answer? Well, verse six, verse six tells us God is raising up the Babylonians. God does have a plan. He's raising up the Babylonians, that nation, who he's going to use to bring an end to the violence and injustice in Judah. God is raising up the Babylonians to judge his people and to discipline them for their unfaithfulness to God. He will use them to invade Judah and judge them. So the weighty word that God has for Habakkuk is that things are going to get worse before they get better. The path to injustice and evil and sin being brought to an end involves the discipline of God's people. God is doing a work in Habakkuk and in us to align us here with his plans and purposes, not our own, in order to give us a heavenly perspective to our hard questions. And we soon find out why God tells Habakkuk that he will not believe what he's going to do because of how powerful and swift the Babylonians are going to be, and more shockingly, because they are characterized by the kind of evil, sin and injustice that's going on in Israel. They are law unto themselves and seek, they seek their own glory, verse seven. They're violent, verse nine. They disrespect authority, verse 10. They rely on their own strength, verse 11. God is doing something about injustice and violence and he is using the Babylonians to accomplish his plans. So it seems like in order to bring an end to evil, sin and injustice, God is using more evil, sin and injustice to do that. And you, we ask, how does that work? And this is a hard truth that God control, God's control extends over all things. All things come from his hand, even the hard things. That's why at the beginning this book is called a prophecy or an oracle and it carries the sense of a burden or a weighty word. The reality is God's people are being disciplined for their unfaithfulness, something that they have been warned about so it shouldn't be a surprise to them. We also, we should also note that the way in which God chooses to work is his choice because he is God, he does whatever he pleases. He works in ways that will display his glory most. And for those who know and trust him, the confidence we have is that his ways will always bring about good. Shows us that when it comes to the problem of human sin, evil and injustice, it isn't just as easy and straightforward as pulling the plug in, pulling the plug out and putting it back in again. It's not just as easy as putting a plaster over the problem. The problem of sin requires the providence of God. God is using something evil to bring about something good. We see that in the Bible in many places. One example is the life of Joseph where he used the evil and sin of Joseph's brothers to bring about the good for Joseph, his family, and ultimately for the nation of Israel. Genesis 50 verse 20 says, As for you, 
you meant evil against me, this is Joseph talking to his brothers, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Often we think that God is not doing anything, that he's sitting idle, he's indifferent, but these verses tell us that he is doing something. He is doing hidden things that we don't always know about, but which we can be confident are happening. That is the great comfort and confidence that we can gain from Habakkuk. God is doing something. His hand is at work even when we can't see it. The call here in this chapter is to look look and see what God has done in the past. He wasn't doing nothing in Habakkuk's life and in his time, and he isn't sitting with his feet up when it comes to our lives either. If you know him and are trusting in him, then he's working in your life, and we can be certain that he's working in this world. And the way that he works should not only amaze us, it should create fearful awe in us. God can raise up nations, he can judge nations, and as creator of the universe, he is in complete control of human history. Habakkuk understood that, but he never thought that God would judge his own people, certainly not in this way. For him, this wasn't part of the plan. This isn't how it's supposed to happen. The answer Habakkuk received didn't make sense to him. That's the third thing we see. It can seem like God isn't doing anything, but he is doing something, yet often that something doesn't make sense. Habakkuk's confusion is deepened further by what seems to be a completely out-of-character response from God. So he scrambles to remind himself and to remind God of what God is like. He models for us something important. In the midst of confusing circumstances, we need to stand firm on the character of God and we need to stand firm in his covenant promises to us. We see that because of the way Habakkuk addresses God here. He calls him Lord, so he's using that covenant name Yahweh, reminding himself of God's covenant commitments to his people, his commitments to bless them and to make them into a great nation through whom the whole earth would be blessed. And he reminds himself not only of God's covenant through addressing him as Yahweh, but of God's character. He says that he's everlasting. The Lord is above and in control of human history. He says, my God, my Holy One, you will never die. You you are my God, you are holy, you are completely other. You are sinless, you are perfect. And he's coming to terms, he's beginning to come to terms with God's purposes and plans. He says, you Lord have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. So he's remembering God's covenant. He's remembering God's character. And he uses that term, my rock. He uses that term to describe God, to remember that God is his rock. My God, my Holy One, my rock. When everything around him is falling apart, when everything around us seems to be falling apart, when God's people feel us, when God's purposes confuse us, we can still stand on the firmness of his character and on his covenant promises. And that is where we find both the time and the comfort to work out our confusion with God and to call out to God. And then we see what seems to be a contradiction. We've been reminded of God's covenant promises and of his character. And then in verses 13 to 17, seems to be contradiction. He's still working it out. Habakkuk's still working it out. He recalls God's character protect his holiness and his hatred towards sin. And then he says, basically, Lord, how can you use these people? How can you even look at them? How can you do this to your own people? In verses 14 to 16, this image that is given to us of how God's people are going to be like fish that are mercilessly and brutally trawled up and ripped out of their home. And the Babylonians will gloat over them as they do it. Habakkuk, remembers God's character and his covenant promises 
and that causes them to be confused about what God is doing, why he's using the sinful and evil Babylonians. He's saying, how can you let them do this to your people? How can you let them do this to us? And often in our lives, we share the same frustration and confusion. Why does God allow me to go through this? Why is God allowing this to happen to me, to my family, to my life, to his church? When will justice prevail? When will evil end? That's the question we see Habakkuk end on this chapter. Chapter 1 verse 17, he says, Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Like Habakkuk, we want God's ways to satisfy our wise. So we keep looking and longing for answers that meet our expectations. That's the fourth, fourth thing we see here. It can seem like God isn't doing anything, but he is doing something, yet often that something doesn't make sense. So like Habakkuk, we sometimes keep looking for an answer that does. We see that in chapter two, verse one, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to his complaint. God's ways don't always satisfy our wise. This chapter contains some hard and heavy truths to digest about how God works, his use of evil and how he disciplines his own people in order to deliver them from their own sin and suffering. As we leave Habakkuk, he is standing waiting on a high tower looking for a better answer, a better solution. He is standing up high looking to gain ultimately a better perspective. He didn't have the full story because he lived in a time when Jesus didn't come. We, however, do live in a time when God's full and final response to Habakkuk's questions, to our questions, have been answered in Jesus. In sending Jesus into the world, God used the evil of lawless men to bring an end to evil, sin and injustice. Acts 2 verses 23 to 24 tell us that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan, God's plan, God was doing something, to the definite plan and for knowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus bore our sin. Jesus endured the evil for which we are culpable. Jesus, the innocent one, suffered the ultimate injustice and evil because of our inequities. His death didn't make sense to those who were closest to him. God's ways seem weak and worthless to the world, but through the cross we find forgiveness and the forgiveness we so desperately need and we find firm ground on which to build our lives. Jesus is the means by which God has fulfilled his covenant promises to you and to me in a way that is consistent with his character, in a way that avoids contradiction, the contradiction that Habakkuk was wrestling with. This is what Habakkuk wrestled with and Jesus reconciles them. And one day when Jesus returns to judge, every wrong will be made right. No evil or sin will go unpunished. For those, who, for those of us who trust in what he has done for us, we look forward to that final vindication and rest. For those who don't know Jesus though, they remain on the wrong side of God's justice. But the invitation here is to trust in Jesus who offers to remove your sin from you and bear God's punishment for you so that you might have an eternal future free of sin and suffering. So as we seek to endure until that day when Jesus returns, we know that God has done something in Jesus, that he is now at work in our lives and that even when things don't make sense, which they will continue to do, in Jesus we have a certainty and a security that will enable us to hold on in the hard parts of life. Uh, the old hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less, has this verse in it. Speaking about Jesus, it says, His oath, his covenant, his blood, supports me in the overwhelming flood. 
when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. The invitation for us here is that when in the torrents, when the torrents of life overwhelm us, when everything around our soul gives way, when you can't make sense of it, call out to Jesus, look to him and stand firm on the rock of his salvation. Rock of salvation that he has made for us and which gives us strength to endure whatever sin or suffering come our way. This is the hope that we have and that's what enables us to stand firm. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are at work in our lives and in this world. Father, often we can't see that. We can't um, see how you are at work in our lives and in this world, but yet we can be confident that you are. And we can be confident because you sent your son into this world to deal with evil, sin and injustice, and you will send him back one day to finally and fully deal with it. And so we pray that we would trust in him in the midst of perplexity and questions and wondering why, would you help us to turn to you and cry out to you? Help us to remember that you hear us, that you love us and that you care for us and that you've proven that in your son, Jesus. So would you help us to run to him and to rest in him? In Jesus' name, amen.